Good morning, church. Please do open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading this well-known passage at verse 5. Matthew, chapter 6, and verse 5. We'll read through to the end of verse 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So reads the Word of God. Let's pray. Oh God, we beg you now to speak to us. Make your Word live in our hearts. Take away any distracting thoughts. Remove from our memories anything that I may say amiss. God, my lips, I pray, bless us now with the food of your word. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for the last three weeks, we have been considering together what are often called the means of grace, the means of grace. But what do we, what do we mean by that? Well, simply those instruments, those things that God has chosen by which the Holy Spirit enables us to receive Christ, to receive the benefits of our salvation, those ways that God in his infinite wisdom has given to us, not that we might get a better Christ, but that we might get Christ better. That our comprehension, our understanding of him would grow, our awareness of his presence might increase, that our relationship with him might deepen. So, so far we've looked 
at reading the Bible, seeing its divine origin, its, its glorious substance, its invincible, powerful, profitable qualities, its saving and fruit-bearing effects, and its great and precious promises. And we saw that because of all that, we're compelled to read God's Word because our very life depends on it. And then we saw how singing the Bible trains our emotions, our, our affections on the very reason that God has given them to us in the first place, to praise and to worship Him. We considered how, how the Word is taken into our hearts, how it, how it makes its home there, how the Word works within us and stirs us up. And as how we sing, God's Word goes back to Him, not empty, not void, but because it's taken root in us, in our hearts. And how the Word addresses our brothers and sisters as we, as we sing together, uh, communicating to one another those praiseworthy truths and doctrines that we find in God's Word. And then last week we thought about preaching as a means of grace to us. That in preaching we see Christ. He's communicated to us. We, we see that He is grace personified. He's the, the source of grace. We see Christ throughout all the scriptures and he's pressed into our hearts and minds. We're assured that all the promises of God find their yes in him. That God always finishes what he starts in us. That his word always accomplishes whatever he purposes. And so this morning we, we come to consider the fourth means of grace, prayer. Prayer. Prayer is a vital means of grace. And I want to confess up front here that this sermon is, is preached as much to me as it is to you. In fact, I may well need to hear this much more than, than many of you hear. I've been so convicted as I, as I was preparing of the crucial importance of, of prayer and just the, the woeful inadequacy of my own prayer life. So I need to hear these encouragements this morning to keep on praying. So before we go any further, we need to stop and try to answer the question, what do we mean by prayer? When we say we're praying, what, what do we mean? In the, in the Bible, there are quite a number of different words for prayer in the, in the original languages, whereas in English, really, we, we only use that one word, prayer. So what are, what are the biblical ideas uh, encompassed sorry, by our English word prayer or the, the verb to, to pray? Well, it includes asking with urgency calling on God for an answer, believing that He is there and listening to us. It means to plead, to beseech, to, to beg. It is making a humble plea, acknowledging that we are small and powerful.
powerless. And the one to whom we're making that plea is huge, enormous, almighty. It's coming to God with worship and adoration in our hearts. It's communing with him. It's entreating him alone. We're not going to anyone else in prayer, but only to God. We're submitting to his rule and reign, to his merciful sovereignty. We're bringing our thanks to God. We're making supplication, bringing our own needs, asking for deliverance and and help and sustaining. And we're interceding. We're bringing the needs of our brothers and sisters, of those around us, to God. John Bunyan defined prayer like this. He said, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. Or the Westminster Catechism puts it like this, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. The New City Catechism puts it most simply, I think. Prayer is a pouring out of our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. Now, children... When you, when you want to play with a toy, uh, but it's, it's way up on a, on a high shelf or it's, or it's locked in a, in a cupboard or, or, or uh, a closet, you might say here, um, that's locked and you, you can't get in, what do you do? Well, you, you, you run to your mom and dad and you say, can you lift this down for me? Can you, can you get this thing? Can you open the door? And that's, that's really what prayer is. Prayer is asking God to act for you or for others. And friends, we all need to see that we are just as helpless as short little children. In everything, we need the gracious help of our Heavenly Father. We, we have to see that we are utterly powerless, hopeless, Without him, we need to admit to him our desperate need, our complete dependence on him. And then realize that God knows this too. And he's given us prayer that he might meet our needs through it. So prayer is a wonderful, glorious, vital means of grace. A a beautiful gift that God has given to us. But there is is a big question hanging in the air. How? How How can this be possible? How can sinful, broken, rebellious wretches like you and me, how do we have this kind of access to a holy, sinless, pure God? Paul lays it out in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1 reminds us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Outside of Christ, that is the condition of all of us. We are all born 
spiritually dead. And then in verse 12, he, he hammers it home. He says, remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. And then just in case we haven't got it yet, having no hope without God in the world. See, the real problem of prayer is not mainly that we feel that we're not very good at it or we, we find it difficult to pray or to, to keep praying. It's not a subjective problem. It's an objective problem. We're not born with access to God. This is not something that we have naturally. Our own sin and rebellion is a dividing wall, as it were, between us and God. Now, surely it brings division on the horizontal, too. We're, we're estranged from those around us and, and our friends and our family. Sin drives a, a wedge between us and our nearest neighbors. But, but the main problem is vertical between us and God. So then how we ought to praise God this morning, that Paul follows up with verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because Jesus came into this world to seek and to save sinners like you and me. Because he lived the perfect life of obedience that we should have lived. Because he laid down his life for rebels like us. Because he bore the punishment that our sin deserved on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. Because he rose again from the dead defeating sin and death, and once and for all, proving that his sacrifice is accepted by the Father. Because of all of that, all those who believe in him, who confess their guilt and sin, and plead for that forgiveness, won by him, they are truly washed, they're truly cleansed, their guilt is gone, and more they are clothed in his righteousness credited with the achievements of his perfect life and Paul goes on to say through him that is through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and this is incredible members of the household of God members of the household of God, co-heirs with our perfect older brother, welcomed into the family of God with access, with access to the Father, able to approach God as our heavenly Father, able to look to him expectantly as a, as a child does their parent. So prayer is then a blood-bought privilege, a crimson-soaked present. And when we see, when we see that our greatest problem is dealt with, then, well, then we, we can't help but be drawn into prayer, into communion with our great Redeemer, God. This morning I want to draw out four aspects of prayer. Four P's for you this morning. Firstly, the posture of prayer. 
Then secondly, the priority of prayer. Thirdly, the purpose of prayer. And finally, the pattern of prayer. So first, the posture of prayer. And by posture, I I don't mean that there is a particular way uh, that we have to configure our bodies in order to to pray. Um, The Bible doesn't prescribe a prayer position for us. No, I'm speaking really of the the position of our hearts, the the posture of our soul before God as we pray to Him. And let's see this first negatively in in verse 5 in the chapter that we read together. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. When we pray, we're not praying so that other people might look at us and And hear what we say and think, well, what a wonderful Christian that person is. We're not praying that others might approve of us. So don't don't mishear me here. I'm not arguing that there's no benefit to hearing the prayers of our brothers and sisters. Or even letting other people hear your prayers. In fact, that is a huge huge encouragement just think how many times your your soul has been moved as you hear one of your brothers or sisters pour out their heart before God what a blessing it is to pray together as a church as a family but that's not what's in in view here Jesus is saying we're not to be like the Pharisee in his parable in Luke 18 you know the one who's Basically saying to God, aren't you, aren't you glad that I'm on your side? I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Friends, we don't come to God on the basis of any merit, any good in us. On the basis of anything that we have done. We have no merit. There is nothing we can do that will earn God's approval. Even our best works are stained with the guilt and filth of our sin. But perhaps you're you're not tempted to go to God like that Pharisee. I think it can be more subtle. So examine yourself. Do you sometimes hold back from going to God in prayer because you feel that you've had a bad day? You feel you've messed up and fallen into that same sin that you keep on falling into. You've done one too many wrong things to go to God in prayer. Perhaps you're haunted by one particular devastating sin in your past. Please hear this in in love. Do you really think you can earn your way into the presence of God? That is is just another example of self-righteousness. Believing that if you just did better, you'd be able to pray. You'd be able to go to God. We've got to get this idea out of our heads. We cannot earn favor with God. But Christ can and did. 
And he did it on your behalf, dear believer. So don't hold back from running to God in prayer. Fleeing to your Father. Not in your own strength, not waving your own works as some kind of entry ticket before him, but pleading Christ alone, his work, his merit, his works. What a savior. What a savior we have, friends. What a master we follow. Look here, even on the heels of this warning about how not to pray, comes an encouragement from the mouth of Jesus to pray. Look at the end of verse 6. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's nothing uncertain about that, is there? Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When we come to our Father with an attitude of humility, assuming that posture of dependence on Christ alone, Christ assures us that our Father hears our prayer, that He will answer. This is a great and precious promise. Now we might not receive the answer that we want, but friends, we can be confident that it will be the answer that we need. It will, in the deepest possible sense, be a reward to us. Now look at at verse 9, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. These four words are so instructive to us as we consider the posture we adopt before God in, in prayer. Our Father reminds us that we Approach God as our Father. We're adopted into His family. We have that access that a child has to his parents. He's not just a father to Christ. He's our Father. Not just a Father. Our Father. We're reminded of those words of Jesus just a few words later, uh, a few verses later in in chapter 6. Where he says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly Father knows. Sometimes that's, that's all we can manage, isn't it, in prayer? When we're gripped by fears and anxieties, when... When we're consumed with pain and and hurt, all we can do is cry out, Father, you know. You know. And we're assured that He does. He does know. He is our Father. He knows what we need. But then those second two words, in heaven, I think they're meant to stand in contrast to the first two words. We're meant to We're meant to think of the sheer otherness of God. His his majestic, awesome, blinding holiness. We're to be reminded that He is of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. 
that all of his ways are truth and goodness and uprightness. He's a God of absolute integrity. No corruption can be found in him anywhere. Does even the seraphim in heaven cover their faces before his holiness? Would a call to mind the the fact that heaven is God's throne room where he reigns with irresistible power and cannot be constrained by anyone or anything. His sovereignty is uncontestable. His might is invincible. Everything, everything belongs to him. From the highest of heavens, the countless multitudes of stars to the tiniest subatomic particle, everything, everything is his. He holds in his hands the depths of the seas and the peaks of the mountains. Every beast of the field belongs to him. Every bird of the air, every fish in the sea is his. And he turns the hearts of kings and presidents and prime ministers to do his will. He's charted the course of history. He works all things together for his glory and for the good of his people. We're to be reminded that his wisdom is unsearchable. His understanding is infinite. He knows the exact number of the stars in the sky. He knows the number of every hair on the head of every human being to have ever walked this planet. Everything that has happened, that is happening, that will happen, is according to his wise and perfect design. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. And even then, even when we've reminded ourselves of all of these things, we have to admit that we have barely scratched the surface of who God is. The splendor and majesty of his character we're only capable of describing a tiny portion of his wondrous ways we've only heard a whisper of his grandeur we've only caught a glimpse of his glory so this ought to inform our posture before him as we approach him in prayer we have to remember who it is we are speaking to How could we approach him flippantly, without care? Psalm 47 verse 2 warns us, For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. But brothers and sisters, none of this should make us hesitate. None of this should make us hold back from approaching God in prayer. Remember those wonderful words. We sung some of them just this morning in in Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in times of need. We should fear God. We should tremble before him. But not in a way that would keep us from him. No, we need to hold these two great truths together. God is to be feared. And he is our father. We approach him through our great high priest. Through Jesus Christ. And we come with reverent boldness. With joyful fear. Knowing that we are clothed in the righteousness of our Savior. Knowing that because the Father turned his face away from Jesus Christ. He'll never turn his face away from us. From those who come to him in Christ's name. Well, having considered something of our posture in prayer, let's turn now to the the priority of prayer. A great Scottish hymn writer, uh, James Montgomery, penned a, a lovely, beautiful hymn on the subject of prayer. And one of the verses begins with, with these lines. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath. The Christian's native air. Boys and girls, how long do you think you can hold your breath for? How long? Ty? 30 seconds. Oh, no. Not very long then. Maybe two or three minutes, I think, is, is generally what uh, human beings can hold their breath for. There are some, some specially trained free divers Um, who can hold their breath for up to 10 minutes. One can even hold his breath for more than 20 minutes underwater. But even those specially trained divers who've basically given their whole lives to learning how to hold their breath, as you do, um, even those divers have to come up for air. They need to breathe. Without air, without oxygen, we die. To live, we have to keep on breathing. And friends, prayer is designed to be that for us. The air that we breathe that keeps us alive spiritually. And so the Word of God is full of examples that show us the absolute priority of prayer. Just look briefly at verses 5 and and 7 here in, in the passage we read. Jesus says, When... You pray. When you pray. Not if you pray. When you pray. It's not, it's not optional. And the life of Jesus backs this up. Bears this out. He was a man of prayer. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Uh, we, we read there about the word about Jesus spreading throughout Galilee. And, and great crowds of people coming to hear him speak and to be healed by him. But Jesus knows the priority of prayer. And so we read, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6, verse 12. Jesus is about to choose his disciples. And though he is wisdom itself, he spends the whole night in prayer. 
In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And think of the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus prepares to go to the cross. Three times he withdraws to pray. All throughout his life, Jesus himself demonstrated a commitment to the priority of prayer. So loved ones, if Christ himself, the Son of God, needed to pray, if he devoted so much time and energy to pray, how much more ought we? Well, think about the Apostle Paul. Think about the, the letters that he writes, just littered with prayers for the churches he writes to. Second Thessalonians, verse one, he writes, uh, uh, chapter one, he writes this: "To this end, we always pray for you. We always pray for you." The apostles were always in prayer, and they, they urge us through Scripture to follow their example. Paul writes in Romans 12 and verse 12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Or Philippians 4 verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. James reminds us in the fourth chapter of his letter, you do not have because you do not ask. The early church shows us the way in Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The church was devoted to prayer. So if Jesus, if the apostles, if the early church was so given to prayer, then how much more ought we be devoted to prayer? Friends, prayer is a vital, vital means of grace. When we pray, we're acknowledging that our need of God's help is not partial, but total. Jesus himself teaches us in, in John 15 that apart from him, we can do nothing. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Prayer is one of those means that God has given to us that we might be connected to the true vine. In the act of praying, we're admitting that we're, we're not the vine. We don't have that life within us. We don't have the strength even to last for a moment. We say we're branches. We are mere branches. Some of us twigs. We don't have the strength within us. We need His life-giving sap. So friends, prayer is not just for emergencies, not just for those moments of crisis, although there is nothing better we can do in a crisis than pray. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 instructs us to pray without ceasing. Pray 
without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean that we spend all of our days on our knees with our eyes closed. But rather we live as dependent sheep. Totally reliant on our good shepherd. And we take every opportunity to run to God in prayer. Whether, whether that is an extended time of prayer that's established in our daily schedule. Or whether it's an explosive, short, arrow prayer. Just crying out, God help me. That means we don't give up on praying. We pray without ceasing. So I exhort you, brothers and sisters, give priority to prayer. Give it the importance that it deserves in your life. Pray always. Pray without giving up. Be like that persistent widow that Jesus spoke of. Be like the friend who rouses his neighbor in the middle of the night. Pray because Jesus assures you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Pray. Pray. Now I want to address uh, an objection that might be forming in your mind as we, as we move on and consider the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer. And so the objection that, that could be rattling around in your head is that well surely if God is sovereign if he's already planned everything that will ever happen why do we need to bother praying why do we need to ask him for anything what's the point of praying if God has planned everything already even verse 8 in our passage points out your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so I want to give, I want to give two answers, a short answer and a long, longer answer um, to that question. The short answer, the one that even you children can remember, is we pray because God tells us to pray. We pray because God tells us to pray. He commands us to pray. All through the Bible we see calls, commands, instructions to pray. Jesus himself tells us in Luke 18 verse 1, we ought always to pray and not lose heart. So we pray because God tells us to pray. And then the longer answer. And I think this is hinted at in the first petition, the first request in the Lord's name. Hallowed be your name. God's glory is in view here. So we pray that in all things he might get glory and honor and praise to his name. And so God commands us to pray then because he has decreed both the ends and the means by which those ends will be achieved. So much in the same way that God has decreed that trees and plants should grow, but normally only when they are able to draw nutrients and food from the soil and have the sun to, to photosynthesize. 
God has decreed that trees and plants would grow that way. There are many, many things that God has ordained to come to pass as a result of our prayers. His ends are brought about by the means of our prayers. It's God's eternal plan that many things will be achieved by prayer. Isn't isn't that wondrous? Isn't that incredible? The God of the universe, almighty God, includes us in the working out of his plans. So our praying doesn't change the mind of God, but it most certainly changes things in his universe. Jonathan Edwards puts it well. He he said it like this. With respect to God, prayer is but a sensible acknowledgement of our dependence on him to his glory. As he hath made all things for his own glory, so he will be glorified and acknowledged by his creatures. And it is fit that he should require this of those who would be subjects of his mercy. It is a suitable acknowledgement of our dependence on the power and mercy of God for that which we need, and but a suitable honor paid to the great author and fountain of all good. With respect to ourselves, God requires prayer of us. Fervent prayer, many ways, tends to prepare the heart. Hereby is excited a sense of our need, whereby the mind is more prepared to prize his mercy. Our prayer to God may excite us in a suitable sense and consideration of our dependence on God for the mercy we ask and a suitable exercise of faith in God's sufficiency so that we may be prepared to glorify his name when the mercy is received. Everything that God does is for his own glory, first and foremost. But he's given us prayer that we might glorify him and that we might graciously benefit ourselves from being included in his plans. Prayer is for his glory and for our greatest good. So then how should we pray? I don't know about you, but if I try and pray just using words or ideas that that come into my head, I run out of steam in about two minutes. But thank God, thank God he has given us his word. We're given patterns of prayer throughout the Bible. We're we're meant to pray the word. Scripture records prayers of saints that have gone before us. The longest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, which is the church's prayer book as well as its song book. Every condition of the soul is given voice throughout the Psalms. Almost anything that we'll ever experience finds words in the book of Psalms. But I think the clearest and, and most obvious is here in front of us in our text. God gives us this prayer. And it's not meant to be merely memorized and and fired off without thinking about it. No, it's the perfect model for our prayers. So let's 
Let's examine it phrase by phrase. Our Father in heaven. So as we've seen, we're to draw near to God the same way that a child draws near to his earthly father with that same confident assurance that we will find love and acceptance there. Not because of any merit we have to plead of our own, but because we've been born again into his family. Because our sin has been paid for. A righteousness that isn't ours has been given to us in Christ. So we enter his presence with reverent confidence, knowing that he is our father, knowing that he delights to hear from his children. But notice that we address God as our father, not my father. We're reminded here in that first word that we belong to a much bigger family. We see that we're to pray both with and for others. We see that we belong to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. We're coming to Him. We're asking the one who is able, able to do abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine as we pray. Hallowed be your name. Here we glimpse again the whole purpose of prayer, the whole reason for the universe existing, that God would be glorified in all things, that he would be treasured over all things, that his name would be exalted over all the earth, over every other name, every other idol, every other good thing that he gives us. We're asking God that every knee would bow to his majesty, that every tongue would confess his greatness, that all creation would magnify his glory. Your kingdom come. We pray that Satan's kingdom would be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace, Christ's kingdom, would advance, would grow, would expand. We're asking God to make clear that it is his kingdom, that he governs all the nations. We're imploring him to set up his throne wherever Satan's seat of power might be. We're begging that every thought and idea be brought into submission to him. We're praying that revival might come in our own hearts and to those around us, that the gospel would advance and transform the world, that men and women and boys and girls would be brought to know and love Jesus Christ, that they would become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're praying that God would be seen and worshipped and enjoyed everywhere in the world because he is worthy. He deserves every heart, every city, every nation. He is worthy of worldwide worship and we're to give ourselves no rest in praying until he has it. Then we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's revealed will, the way that he's breathed out in Scripture to be adored and, and followed the same way that the angels carry out his commands in heaven, that in our own lives we would love his law, that we would joyfully submit to his ways. We ask that he would make us quick to obey with happy hearts, gladly 
following the lead of our Savior. We want to obey the way our perfect older brother does. And we're praying that we would see that obedience spread, that we would see that love spread throughout the whole earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Here again, we're reminded of our total reliance on God. We're rebuked for thinking that we can be fed and watered by our own efforts. We cry out to God to provide for our very real, very earthy needs, for our food and drink, that we might have all that we need to go on bringing glory to God for as long as he grants us breath. We're reminded that we don't need to worry about tomorrow. We're only called to bring this day, this day's needs to God. We're called to express our confidence in God's provision, called to remember how he has always provided for us in the past and will continue to provide this day. Then we pray, forgive us our debts. Not only do we need daily bread, but we need to experience daily forgiveness. Though we are forgiven and our, our future in eternity is secure, so often we're consumed with guilt. We need to call to mind that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We remind ourselves that though we are often faithless, He remains faithful. We cry out to experience afresh the cleansing flood of Jesus' blood, washing away our guilty stains and overwhelming us with forgiveness. And we pray as we have also forgiven our debtors. We pray that that forgiveness that we first experienced through Christ would flood out of our lives and make us forgiving people. We ask God that we would see the enormity of our own forgiveness and that would transform us into people who forgive the comparatively small offenses that we feel. We plead for his help that we might live in the freedom of his love. Then lead us not into temptation. We remember that we have an enemy. and We cry out that God would deliver us from his crafty snares. We pray that God would give us the strength to resist the devil, that he might flee from us. We pray for protection when we are tempted. We pray that God might keep us from those places or people or websites or movies or whatever that we know would tempt us to sin. We confess to God we don't want to keep on sinning. We want to live a life of purity, one that brings honor and glory to God. So you see, just in this simple or seemingly simple prayer, there's a lifetime of material for us to go to God in our own words. But just as we close, I want us to see that it's not just the prayers and the Psalms 
that we have recorded in God's word that we can turn into patterns of prayer. All, all of God's word is available to us to turn to prayer. In fact, that is the best way to fuel your prayer life. Meditate on God's word. Fill your mind with his truth. Plead the promises of God. Replay God's words back to him. Memorize his word. Let it ignite prayer in your soul. So let us be eager to to make use of this vital means of grace. May God help us to be a praying people. Those who, who love and pray his word. Those who are constant in prayer. Who pray without ceasing. Without giving up. May God help us to remember that though our praying falls woefully short of what it should be, we do have a great high priest who intercedes for us. We do have an advocate who even now prays for us. And we have his spirit who lives within us, who enables us to pray, who even helps us in our weakness For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Friends, cry out to God today for help to pray. Amen. Let's go to him now. Father, we thank you so much for the blood-bought privilege of prayer. Forgive us for neglecting this vital means of grace so often. Please, by your Spirit, move us, mold us, shape us into truly dependent sheep, those who, who run to you, who live our lives in a in an attitude of constant prayer make us conscious of your presence with us help us to know the the comfort and joy of your holy spirit with us throughout our day and oh god make us a praying people include us in your plans we ask for jesus sake amen